two, one. Welcome in. It's the Husker Extra podcast. That's simple. I'm Parker. We are without our esteemed colleague, Chris Baznet, this week. He's out doing what a young man does. He'll be back next week. Doing what a young man does and that and all that entails. And all that entails. There's a bunch of young men doing what young football players do over on campus. Sipple, first week of Nebraska spring ball in the books. It's late. We had a day. I had a day. I was at the car dealership all day. Um, it's 550, almost 551 right now on Friday. When, you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's Friday evening. Uh, this morning, Friday morning, Nebraska had its first spring practice in pads. It's the end of the first week of work. For those guys, they got three, um, you know, official practices in uh, so far. And this is basically the way it's going to go this spring, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, may see a couple of those Friday practices on Saturday, depending on, you know, sort of what they're trying to get done. Um, but this is it without spring break in the UNL uh, academic you know, calendar this year. They've got five uninterrupted weeks, um, you know, first weeks over now, all the way through April leading up to Saturday, May 1st, which, of course, be the red white spring game uh we were over there actually on wednesday simple uh, not to see any of practice but to conduct some interviews in person for the first time in a year what have we learned in the first week of spring ball well a lot i mean i think the my biggest takeaway from week one were were sean becton's comments about special teams i hate to start with sort of a kind of a negative um yeah, it's, a, it's a reality though, right? I mean, Sean Becton is, yeah, Sean Becton is the tight ends coach, but he just flat out said, we didn't, we didn't, he, he, he expressed disappointment with the way they coached special teams last year that we didn't, he basically said, we didn't give it the attention we needed to. Now, I don't know what all that, what all that means, but a lot of people were sort of taken aback by it yeah it's a pretty alarming it's a pretty alarming sentiment to hold isn't it like I mean you could say anytime you don't get the results you want clearly you needed to be better in some way but for him to say that in the way he said it I took that as a like holy shit moment kind of like wow yeah I think yeah it was yeah it was to a lot of people now you can you can dress it up in a in a in a very acceptable way by saying, well, they've assessed it and now they're going to, now they're going to do better. Sure. You know, so, yeah. so that's a positive, but here's the thing, Parker, it's year four. Right. I mean, yeah, that, that's, yes, that, that's what struck me about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is, this has been an ongoing conversation. If you look like, for instance, at the ESPN power index that, that rates special teams play. Nebraska was 115th last year and 120th the year before. I don't know where they were in Frost's first year, but I don't remember their special teams being particularly strong. Um, so this is an ongoing conversation. When he said that, you just don't, I get, it's hard to know what to make of it, except, except, I mean, we can clearly the staff didn't jibe with Jonathan Rutledge, who right. was the, special teams analyst yes. um, didn't work out, you know? So that was the one thing that struck me. What else? What else, Parker? Yeah. Well, one of the things that struck me in that same conversation is 
the clear and obvious respect that those same coaches, Sean Becton and Travis Fisher in particular, have for Mike Dawson, who now is the special teams coordinator in addition to being the outside linebackers coach. I mean, they both talked um, in detail about supporting Mike Dawson and making it clear in their respective rooms and the tight ends and the defensive backs are very important in the special teams. That's, that's the body type you need a lot of in special teams, tight ends, uh, DBs, linebackers, um, that fills out a lot of your special teams course typically. And so that like those guys talking about the importance of it, um, Travis Fisher said flatly, doesn't matter if you're a walk-on or a scholarship guy in his room, um, the rule is you have to start on at least one special teams unit. And he said, if you can't, he said, if you can't start on one special teams unit, you cannot play defensive back here, period. So that's a, that's a good thing to say um, in late March, early April. Um, it's a sentiment that you want to see carried all the way through and, and result in improvement because they have to improve. I mean, Travis Fisher said it. He said, it's not hard to get my guys to buy into special teams because they've watched it and they understand that it's been the difference between wins and losses at some point, which is great. It begs the question, um, why hasn't it gotten better sooner, as you sort of said, but at the same time, like all you can do, the pass is the pass. All you can do is try to get better going forward. That's the only option. So special teams, definitely a dominant conversation. I thought that, Greg Austin was very interesting talking about the mix of guys who will be competing for playing time in his room. Um, there's some guys that you would expect Brant Banks being one of them. Um, Trent Hickson. I've sort of had this thought that Trent Hickson is going to be an important guy in that group. And, and, and Greg Austin said as much right now, he's the number two center and he's competing for a guard job. So he's going to be a swing. He can play all three inside. Um, but a couple new-ish names popped in there, too. Nori Noelli, uh, the walk-on transfer from Colorado State who got here last year. Um, some people know his story. He's an exchange student from Germany and, and was in Norris and then turned himself into a Division I football player very quickly. Um, and Ezra Miller, walk-on from Iowa. So those two guys are, are in the mix there, um, and it's going to be interesting to see, uh, A, if the four guys who we sort of think of as something like presumptive starters, Turner Corcoran, Ethan Piper, Cam Jurgens, and, and Bryce Bennett, hang on to those jobs and accelerate their development pass. And then also who rounds out the starting five and who provides sort of the first depth off the bench. Yeah, well, the, exactly. Now, the reason we're talking about special teams and offensive lines, because partly because those were the coaches that were available. Sean Becton sure, yes, was yes. available. And we, and by the way, we did in-person interviews for the first time in over a year. Yeah. It was awesome. At the state. Yeah. At the state. It was, it was really, you, you don't real. I mean, I guess that's, there's some good things about the pandemic. It took away some things that, that you maybe took for granted, like those in-person interviews at the stadium. It, it was so much easier to get information um, and it worked out really well. So Sean Becton was available. Greg Austin was available. Travis Fisher was available and Mike Dawson was available. So that's why we're talking a lot of offensive line and special teams, but I've now Parker, I want to say this. I can't remember the special teams discussion at Nebraska being this sort of intense. 
right. this much scrutiny. I not not very often in 30 years that I've been around here. Hmm. I mean, interesting. It's it's you know for a long time they were good, really good at special teams. Pelini's the Pelini era. They struggled some, but he kind of righted the ship. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. I didn't feel like it ever got as much discussion as this. Well, I mean, think about it. We're Simple really talking back. about it a lot. What? Go ahead. Yeah, the, the last two years. I mean, they've lost to the last two years. They've lost to Iowa by three points and by six points, and they've given up a kick return touchdown in both of those games. Like, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see. And that's like before you get to the hidden yards when you have maybe a punt that's not a great one, yeah. or you know, you don't get anything on a return, or you you punt it from the midfield and it goes into the end zone. Like there's all sorts of um, subtle things in special teams that are easy to overlook, but we're not even talking about like subtle, it's subtle things. And they've just given up these sort of like catastrophic failures. Catastrophic um, failure. Like, like kicking the ball to Aaron Crookshank and allowing him to run 98 yards yeah. <laughs> in a straight line. <laughs> straight, straight line. Is this How a, often do you see that? Yeah, right. Um, or blo- now, or blocking one- a punt against Penn State, turning it into a touchdown, and then having a punt blocked in the same half. <laughs> Almost having another one blocked by the Almost way, having another later one later in the game. Yeah. You, you, you uh, <laughs> I always tell people, I hope you don't mind, the one thing that I've noticed about watching games with you that drives you crazy is the kickoff return short of the 25. that drives you because and i i totally understand it's funny because i'd always you know there was a time i was like ah big deal they got to the 18 it's that's fine it's not though if you do that four times a game that's 20 yards that you get lost and it's it's a new but it's it's um my intolerance for it has accelerated in in recent years because the rule change it used to be like if the ball didn't land in the end zone, you had to bring it, you know, you had to return it. But now you can fair catch that thing and they'll just literally give it to you at the 25. Mm-hmm. If someone hits a beautiful kick and, and it's way up there and it's going to, and it's going to hit at the six, you don't have to run that back anymore. You, that, you, you used to have to return that. Now you don't You can yeah. put your hand up and call it and they give it to you at the 25. There's no <laughs> excuse for catching, right. fielding it at the four, let alone bringing it out of the end zone. And get right. short of the twenty-five. You are just literally giving away yards. <laughs> right there, you go. Here, there take it. Was. Take it. Right. <laughs> it drives you nuts. Um, <laughs> but I understand it. I mean, it's a detail. The, it's a detail of the game. It's a detail uh-huh. that has no upside. <clears throat> There's no upside to it. You just take it at the twenty-five and let it go. And if you have a dangerous return man, or you have someone who you trust to advance it past the twenty-five. Then if you're regularly running it out to the 33 or the 35 and every once in a while you get stopped at the 22, that's fine. But that's, that is not the case with Nebraska. No. It hasn't been in recent years. It's not like they're rolling the dice and, and, it, and gaining yardage three out of four times. And then on the fourth time, when they bring it out, they get stopped a little short. That's fine. You can deal with that, but it's like, they're not getting to the 25 and they're, getting stopped short of that sometimes it's like just it's just like as if you it's not like that they're just then saying oh well our offense is so overwhelming that we'll make up for it Mm -hmm. it just well no there's not 
So they have, I think there's some of the, uh, another reason why the, the special teams discussion is so prevalent is because I think there's a, I don't know if people think, maybe, I think of it this way, Parker. The defense has nine returning starters and it's pretty good. If you can get the special teams going at a high, reasonably high level, the schedule is rough. You have three or the first four games on the road as it's, as it is now, maybe if you're playing good defense and good special teams, it gives some guys, some new guys on that offense, a chance to kind of work their way in and, and get it, get things right, get, find a groove. And then everything maybe starts clicking in all three phases, which is, we haven't seen that at all, but I think the defense and special teams could give a guy like Samari Ture and Marquis Step time to kind of find their footing. Right. Um, and, you know, we've seen, like we saw with Diedrich Mills, he needed time. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe Marquis Step won't, but I mean, I don't know if those guys are, will be ready just to come in off the jump and, and run for 100 yards and catch seven passes for 120. I don't know. Right. We'll see. I didn't plan on spending the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about special teams, but I, I have another That's thought well. on it. Yeah. And that is, I think that one of the things that frustrates <clears throat> fans about the special teams conversation too is this. I don't have, there's not, I don't have data to back this up, but it's a, a feeling that I have. And, and Mike Dawson was sort of like picking at it a little bit on Wednesday when he talked and he, he said, the thing that he learned from Dave Phipp, who run, ran special teams for the Philadelphia Eagles for a long time, is that special teams, by and large, is about technique and detail. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Yeah. Fundamentals. fundamentals. Technique and fundamentals. And it's much less about scheme. And that sort of it hit on something that I've thought for a long time, which is that when you think about teams that are good in special teams they almost always not not always sometimes you have a return man who's so dynamic or a kicker who's so good or whatever that you can cover up some warts but typically teams that are good on special teams year in and year out are teams who are good in the details teams who they're the kind of teams who in the lead up to the game coaches say things like they don't beat themselves they're really sound. They're buttoned up. It's teams like Iowa, like Northwestern, like Wisconsin. And that's something that by and large is within your control. That's the thing that I think frustrates people about it is like, you don't have to be overwhelmingly talented to be right. solid on special teams. You just have to be buttoned up and organized and understand and drill the fundamentals and technique more than having some elaborate scheme. And so it's just this question of like, why can't it be good? There's no, there's really no excuse for it not to be at least solid. Well, and there's, yeah, and there's another part of the discussion I've heard from coaches for years and it makes a lot of sense, but it's not, it's not a good look. This discussion is not a good look for Scott's program that in any organization be it a football program or the Journal Star or Casey's General Store, or whatever, you're looking. If you're looking, if you're looking at the culture, you're looking at how are the are the are the workers 
doing the little things all the time? How is, are the employees that, that aren't <coughs> real high profile, are they happy and productive? Are they working at a high level? That's where you, that's where you assess a business um, to, to see that, not necessarily at the top, not, you know, it's look, look at a few layers down. Right. And if that's working at a high level, then your pro, your business is probably pretty good. Um, and that's, see, that's a little bit damning for Nebraska football right now. Um, and it's disappointing. I think it's disappointing to a lot of people. And even if they don't think about it, like exactly like that, I think they sort of get that. You right. Know? And, and then the other thing, you know, Sam McCune pointed out something um, in the World Herald I thought was really interesting. It makes a lot of sense. Nebraska has 155 players, which I don't think there's many programs in the country that have that many players. Maybe none. No, no, it's you one of the biggest. If it's not the biggest roster, it's one of the biggest. Yeah. So you can't find out of those 155 a bunch of guys that want to be want to be killers on special teams. I, I, that's why I think this discussion has sort of ramped up because people realize that now Scott Parker has had a chance to build the walk-on program. Right. There's literally no excuse now not to have good special teams unless it's not being coached well. And that winds back to what Sean Becton said. It's on us. Sean Becton said the words, it is on us. It's not on the kids. Yeah. They have the guys. It's on the co- it's it's on the coaching. That's why we're really looking at it now. Yeah, and and, and there's really, it can it can get better. It can get special teams is an area that can get better quickly too. I think that's the that's another reason why it's interesting, especially with Mike Dawson, who has a good reputation in the department, sort of taking over that now. I it, it's not like it was all doom and gloom week one. The first week of spring is typically it's a pretty. Um, uh, it's, it's a pretty hopeful time and, you know, optimistic time for programs in large part, because you're getting work in, you're back on the field, you've had some time off and, and the season's a long way away and all that. So there's some things that will just be interesting to, um, to watch going forward. I think back to Monday, you know, Matt Lubick talking and, and Scott Frost talking about Samari Ture operating maybe primarily out of the slot as a six foot three guy. Think about, um, you know, Cameron Jurgens talking about leadership and taking the bull by the horn sort of in that department. You know, you think about just Scott Frost saying, yeah, um, Logan Smothers and Heinrich Harburg and Matt Masker are going to get a ton of reps this spring. All things that we'll explore more over the next four weeks. And, and I think we're going to maybe hear from the quarterbacks, Mario Verisco, the quarterbacks coach, Adrian, maybe a couple of the other quarterbacks uh, on Monday. So there's a lot, you know, there's like a lot of, I think there's a lot of interesting things to watch this spring, a lot of interesting things to write about and chat about at the water cooler and all of it. Oh yeah. Well, I thought what Frost said about Samari Ture, um, not only playing in the slot, but also the way he's approached his work, like a veteran. Yeah. Um, he's come in and Scott's been really impressed by his demeanor, his approach to his work. Um, all that suggests Samari Ture is, has a good chance to trot out there with the first string, you know, plus the fact he, he, Parker, he caught 87 passes in 2019. Is that right? Yes. 87 passes in 219 for Montana. Um, He was an FCS All-American. Yeah. So he's, yeah, yeah. He's an FCS All-American. I don't mind talking about a guy like that 
as much in because he's done it. I mean, he's right. not at the Big Ten level, but an FCS All-American suggests some talent and some uh, – well, I mean, it just suggests a certain skill level. So, yeah, and, and putting him in the slot's really interesting at six foot three and 190. Yeah, especially, I mean, we, this is probably for a next one, especially, you know, we'll, we'll talk to some of these guys, I think, over the next next week. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is the – when you look at the uh, wide receiver group and maybe contrast it with the secondary group, I mean, think about what you're talking about. If you make a list of, say, like six or seven guys that might you might think is sort of the – top group or a starting point for the top group for the receivers. Like Samari Ture just got here in January. Um, Xavier Betts, one year in the program, 2020, uh, you know, bizarre year. Omar Manning, one year in the program. Oliver Martin, one year in the program. Uh, Alante Brown, one year in the program. Will Nixon, one year in the program and spent it rehabbing from a knee injury that he suffered in July. Um, Levi Falk, one year in the program, like all of these guys were at the, at best first year players last year during a bizarre year all around. And that's why you heard Matt Lubick and Scott Frost counsel patients with that group. And I think it gives you an idea of why they're so optimistic about that group. It doesn't, that doesn't mean anything, doesn't guarantee anything, but it's an interesting group because they all got this year that didn't count against eligibility or, or whatever. And then to is the one guy who they're sort of adding, thrusting into the mix, you know, as a first year player in the program. But this is sort of like, okay, dress rehearsals over, you know, let's see what you can do. And I, I just find it to be a very interesting group, especially when you hear things like Oliver Martin, you know, had the, a 40 inch vertical and the, you know, was one of the more athletic guys in that room. Like that's a, They've got they've got some guys in that room now, and and it, they're gonna have to figure out how to deploy them and who rises to the top because they've got some ability. And now it's about turning that ability into production. Well, Parker, I, I don't know if this is what you're started. I don't know if that if this was the road you're starting down, or if I'm just finishing it. But think about what we're talking about with the receivers and all those guys that are one year in the program at best. What they're going against in practice a lot of the time. Yeah, which is right. which is guys like. Markel Dismuke and who's been in the program six years, yeah. five years. Um, yeah. so this is uh, a sixth. This is, this yeah, is a sixth. Dante Williams. He's been in the program. How many years? Oh, this five. is Deontay Williams. who's a junior college transfer. This is fourth year in the program now. Right. Cam Taylor, Britt, same. Yep. Um, and then not just the defensive backfield. I mean, throughout the defense, they're going against Ben Stilley, who's a six year guy. Um, so, it's a, it's an interesting, I mean, I would think the defense would have kind of an advantage in that situation. Um, so that's it. That's an interesting dynamic. There's a lot, there's, I mean, I, Parker, people don't, I, a lot of people don't get this, but we don't, unfortunately, we don't see these practices. Right. Um, I mean, this is an, this is an example. Oh, I always want to see them, but this year in particular, I would love, love to see what's going on over there. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. All this stuff we're talking about is really, really interesting. And you frame it up against the, this in the, you frame it up in the context of Frost. It's a big year for him. It's a yep. big spring. It's going into a, we always talk about the magnitude of the opener against Illinois. 
And I hope if we went over there, what you would see is urgency. Um, and I, that's because I think that this program needs that right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating spring, and that you know, then I guess the last thing to wrap up the this part of the the podcast would be, I I think one of the things that maybe I don't know that we wrote a ton about it last year, simple, and, and part of it's just because it was a it was a weird year. The season went by really fast, and the secondary played pretty well, all things considered. Veteran group, you know, they had the three seniors, and and DiCaprio left, and and after the season, obviously, and. Um, you know, Cam Taylor Britt sort of ascended into that, that role as their top corner. Um, but they had a lot of injuries in the secondary last year. You know, Braxton Clark missed the whole season with a shoulder injury. Javen Wright missed the whole season with a knee injury. Miles Farmer went half down, um, you know, in early December against Purdue. The dab Joseph wasn't even eligible until part of the way through the season, started to get some work on special teams and then got hurt against Purdue. Noah Pola Gates has been, sort of oft injured through his career and, and was dealt with stuff last year. And so you have all these guys who now suddenly not all of them are a hundred percent, you know, turned all the way loose in spring this year as they're coming back from injuries. But for a group that has on, on paper, just the one job open, a cornerback spot opposite Cam Taylor Britt, there's a lot of guys who are sort of knocking on the door in that room. And I think like in baseball this year, you're hearing a lot about, Hey, we had a shortened season last year and it's going to take a lot of guys to, to work through a full length season this year. I think you're going to hear similar things in the secondary, you know, it'd be, it's, it might be better for Deontay Williams and Markel Dismuke if they're not asked to play a thousand snaps in 2021, you know, every Maybe. snap. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, I think you like the, I think if you're frost and the defensive staff, you have to think about the future too. I mean, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of firepower off that defense and, including in the secondary and you got to, to a certain extent, get guys ready. Right. I think, I mean, I, there's a balance that, that that's a tricky conversation, but yeah, you like can't, that, you can't afford to have a huge drop off, you know, for two right. series when you're playing against Iowa, but you also, you know, he talked about Eric Schneider talked on Monday about, yeah, Jojo Doman held up fine playing every snap and special teams over an eight game season but are we doing right by him if we ask him to do that for 12 or 13 games? Um, mm. That's who can, who can find that role? Who can, who can get to in Travis Fisher's ear and say, Hey, look, I've shown it. You've got to put me on the field. I've earned it. Um, that's going to be an interesting conversation back in that, in that second. Yep. Yeah. Well, here's the other thing though. You can't have a huge drop off from year four to year five either. I mean, right. um, so that, that, uh, Parker, it's th that job of a head coach is a is a complicated one. Yep, it is. Um, among the head coach's job, um, some coaches, head coaches do it more than others. Scott Frost, pretty involved in it, is uh, recruiting. Should we talk about recruiting for a couple minutes? Yeah, well, they had two uh, significant bits of news in the last two days, so yes. Yeah, yesterday, Thursday, um, Nebraska landed uh, just – as far, like from Parker's perspective, just a clear out of the blue commitment, bolt from bolt from the heavens commitment from a wide receiver named Victor Jones Jr. Uh, but Victor. he was not not a surprise to the coaching staff. He's from Orlando. Nebraska. Scott Frost known who he is, and Sean Beckton's known who he is since he was in middle school. Um, Olympia High. Uh, he's a receiver, six two, 
Um, he has verified track times, you know, sub 11 in the, in the hundred meters and, and 22 flat in the 200. I mean, this kid that can really run and he's, he's six, two average 19 yards a catch as a junior. Um, he's a guy that Nebraska's thought highly of for a long time, just not really on like the recruiting scene, uh, very much. And so I had, I had literally no idea who he was. You know? Well, yeah, he's got you talking in the third person, so he must be fairly good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. See, see, that's how that's how surprising Victor Jones Jr.'s commitment was. Yeah, it was. It was interesting that way. It doesn't. It doesn't all. It happens as you you alluded to it. I think in your three takeaways during the pandemic, it's happening a little more. Some of those. Some of those. Some of those commitments kind of come from nowhere-ish, right? Yeah. And, and I named, I named a couple of them in the story, you know, Patrick Payton was like that. And then obviously he ended up decommitting and going to Florida state. Um, and Gabe Irvin was like that. Like I knew that they yeah. were recruiting Gabe Irvin. So at least that it was a little bit different in that way. But one day I was like scrolling through Twitter and it was like Gabe Irvin's announcing his commitment in three minutes, watch the video. And I was like, I think this guy, I think Nebraska might be recruiting this guy. <laughs> Maybe I should yeah. just take a couple minutes and watch this. And then he put on a Nebraska hat, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> That's all, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know that. I was in California. I was at my I was up at my fiance's uh, parents' house and sitting in the backyard scrolling through. I was like, "Oh, Gabe Urban's. Hmm, that's weird." I what time of that. year was this? What time of year was it? So like it was like June last year. Oh, I was probably on the hog. I was I was probably yeah, riding and then, around. And then his teammate. Then it was like. Then it was like. He, then it was like his teammate Malik Williams. Uh, like I talked to Malik Williams the next day, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll probably commit in a couple of weeks." It's like, "Oh, okay." So that one at least I, I was on. But no, well, Victor, Victor Jones, Jones. I mean, Victor Jones was being recruited by people. West Virginia. Right. Um, who else? West Virginia. Who else in the Big Ten? Uh, Central Florida. There's a couple Big Ten teams in Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Yeah. So it was, this was a, I thought, you know, you know what it reminded me of simple was it reminded me of when Sean Hardy, the receiver from Georgia committed last year um, because it was like upon talking to Sean Hardy, just like upon talking to Victor Jones, very clear that this was not just like, uh, I need to secure my spot. So I'm going to commit. I mean, this guy knows a lot about Nebraska. He's known the coaching staff for a long time. Sean Becton has ties to um, the head coach at Olympia, uh, Victor Jones's head coach, Travis Gabriel. Uh, they've known each other for a long time. I think he like coached his brother or something like that at UCF. So this is a guy who has known Nebraska. Nebraska's known him for a long time. They really like him. They think he's going to be a big play threat as a receiver. And he's just another now in a, in a long and growing line of, of big receivers, you know, the type of receivers that you like, simple, that would have you talking in the third person about you know, being <laughs> well, six, I just – Six two or six three, long arms, you know that kind of guy. Right. I just, I mean, my whole listen. I have nothing against a dude like Wandale Robinson. You know that. I, I mean, I was a big Wandale fan. Um, but but in this league and just over the years, I've noticed teams come in here back, going back to the Solich era. I would see teams like Texas, um, even Kansas State. Parker would come in and in warmups, you'd see these receivers that are all six two, six three, six four thoroughbreds. And then you look at Nebraska and they didn't have them. Right. And I, I I think and I do think Frost came in came into this situation, saw the Big Ten and realized we gotta 
we got to look like those teams. Yeah. Um, and I've always thought catch radius was big too. And I think it, it five, eight, five, nine, there's a lot of routes. You just get lost. Um, and if you're, if you're streaking down the field at six, three, you're not, you're just less apt to get lost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it's not anything. I, I don't have anything against smaller receivers. I mean, I, I, I watched Tyreek Hill. I know what he's, what guys like that are capable of, of but I just think you need to fill your roster with, I mean, Nebraska got to a point where it was too small receiver. Yeah. Parker, during the games, I'd have guys texting me and saying, simple, what's the deal? Why are they so small at the receiver yeah. position? Yeah. Well, um, so anyway, yeah. anyway, Victor Jones was, um, is, is big in that conversation. And so is the kid from Pierce. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of catch radius, Ben Bramer um, yeah. becomes the first commit in the 2023 class um, today, this afternoon, Friday afternoon. Um, and he's a guy who, man, I mean, when you, when you at, you call around and ask people about Benjamin Bramer, like you hear nothing but rave reviews. Um, he's six, six, uh, he's 190 pounds right now. His dad, Mark, Mark Pierce is the head coach at Pier- Mark Bramer has been the head coach at Pierce for 25 years. Um, said he's still growing. He's that, you know, in college, he's going to be six, six or six, seven and two thirty five or 240 pounds. Um, he's, he's worked out at the Warren Academy for a long time. I talked to Steve Warren today. Um, and Steve Warren said, yeah, I've known about him for years and he's just gotten better and better. And he, he, he said, he said, you know what I do, Parker, when a college calls, I say, did you like Thomas Fedoni? Cause if you like Thomas Fedoni, you better recruit Ben Bramer. Um, you know, he said he's way more polished than Fedoni was when he's a sophomore. Fedoni made a massive jump. Like, like turned himself into an elite prospect. So there's no guarantee that that's going to happen with Ben Bramer, but he's a guy who's polished. Um, he's got good movement skills. He can run. Uh, he looks like a wide receiver uh, right now in his development arc. He's just a sophomore in high school. So he's got a lot of high school ball left, but he's a guy who Nebraska is really high on and who I think the recruiting industry would be higher on already if he wasn't playing C1 ball in Nebraska and had there not been a dead period for the past 14 months. But I tend to think just in the people I've talked to, not just today, but since Nebraska offered him the past month or so, you know, in the past month or six weeks, he's going to be a guy that a lot of people in the Midwest know that know the name in the recruiting circles uh, before it's all said and done. And that, that aspect of it will probably actually be hurt a little bit by the fact that he committed early. He's an in-state guy. He might not, Northwestern might not come in and offer him a scholarship. Wisconsin might not come in and offer him a scholarship if he's been committed to Nebraska for a year already, but yeah, he's only a uh, sophomore. I mean, he's yeah. a sophomore who made 44 catches, I think for 747 yards. And this was, you know, it was the, it was the state, cha- he was playing on a state championship team. Beat The team beat Adam central. <clears throat> the other thing, Parker, that the people that have followed the program, will will be interested in is that he's the first scholarship recruit from Pierce since Matt Herring, which you had in your story. Herring was a was a was a great player. Yeah. I mean, was a Parker, the guy would have fit any era, would have fit here beautifully. He was a one of the best tight ends that to ever play here. Um was any you know what this kid kind of I'm not going to put it on him, but this, you know, this kid evokes images of Matt Herring because Matt Herring was a tight end who was 
a big time deep threat because he could run. Yeah. Um, and he and he caught a lot of deep passes at a time when Nebraska didn't throw him very often. Yep. Um, but Matt Harriam, I mean, Matt Harriam is a Pierce legend. I mean, he's a legend in the in Pierce. Yep. So it's really from that standpoint, this is pretty interesting. Yeah. They got another six foot five guy that can stretch the field from Pierce that will evoke images of Matt Harriam. Yep. And so, and obviously he's the first guy in the boat for the 2023 class. Um, yeah. So he's, he'll be probably around a lot as camps get going and all of that. He'll be a guy that, that'll be a leader in that class. And Nebraska's already got three scholarship offers out uh, in the 2023 class in state. Uh, Bramer, who obviously is committed now. Um, Maverick Noonan, uh, another legacy player or a legacy player from Elkhorn South. Uh, and then Tatum Tuioti, Tony Tuioti's kid at Lincoln Southeast. A couple more right in the region that have power five offers um, as it stands, Gunnar Gatula also at Southeast. Um, and then there's a, a couple kids just right over the, the border uh, in, in Western Iowa that um, are, are, are clear power five kids too. So um, it's a good group. Uh, Steve Warren said today, it's not the last you're going to hear the sophomore group around here because he thinks it's really good. There's some guys um, that he thinks uh, is on the cusp of becoming power five type recruits. So recruiting never stops. You just think it's been quiet for a little while. And then suddenly, um, you know, two days in a row, Nebraska picks up a commit. So some activity on that sure to be more uh, over the spring, rest of the spring and obviously into the summer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's warming back up a little bit on that front. So you can't even go to lunch. You know, some, some kid commits. <laughs> no. We got it done. Hey, uh, so who's your final four? Who, who, who's your, who, you, who's your national champion, Parker? I'm going. I'm going to go way, way, way out on a limb. Yeah, say Gonzaga. Yeah, I think. I think it's. I, I mean, I don't know how many experts would try to dissuade you on that. I, I'm I mean, clearly an expert, and I would never dissuade you on that. If um, if Baylor's guards can, if Baylor's guards really come to play, they can make it a game. But I. Don't you think Houston could make it a game? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty rugged. Uh, That's going to be, yeah, yeah, that's going to be a war. I mean, Baylor and Houston is going to be a war. It will. Yeah, Houston, I I, I really like the way they play. They attack. I mean, they attack. uh, For instance, they send five to the boards, and it's, I mean, they are dogs on the board. Yeah, you're right. Houston Baylor is an absolute war. I don't think UCLA can, can, be a real threat to Gonzaga. UCLA is a great story, though. I mean, that's an amazing run they've had. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. All right, you got lunch or dinner to eat. Uh, so let's, <laughs> you should eat dinner, too, at some point. It's healthy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's time. It's I'll time. go for a little hog ride and then um, have some barbecue. Man, pork all around. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, that, that that is all for this week. We've got a ton of stuff from the first week of spring ball and all the recruiting news and all of that up right now on HuskerAction.com. Got more coming this weekend. And then we're back to it with uh, week two of spring ball next week. Monday and Wednesday, we'll be over there uh, doing interviews and we'll have content all week. So uh, check HuskerAction.com. Consider subscribing. You can get 12 months of full digital access to the Journal Star for $29.99 right now. Full year. Yeah, that seems like a steal. Full year for thirty bucks. You should do it. Yeah, I mean this this podcast was worth thirty dollars. Yeah, at least. Yeah, thirty. All right, we'd really appreciate your support in that regard. 
check huskerx.com for all the latest and thanks for watching.